Welcome back to The Profitable Python. I'm your host, Ben McNeil, and on this episode, you will meet Jonathan Ryu. Jonathan is a lead data scientist at EPAM Systems, focusing on solving hard, complex, fun problems with data. He's the author of the upcoming book, PySpark in Action, published by Manning. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you, I'm happy to be here. Glad to have you. And I've, my, the first question I have for you is, when did you first realize that you wanted to solve problems with data science? Um, oh my God, that's an excellent question. Um, I mean, when I was in CEGEP, which is basically kind of the two years, uh, I'm originally from Quebec, there's two years between high school and university. Uh -huh. um, you know, we like to joke about it. It's your, the two worst year of your life or your seven best, depending on how you plan your time. Um, <laughs> And I really, really got into, uh, uh, you know, programming and um, data analysis. And, and I found it very um, interesting to be able to answer questions uh, without having to rely on, like, either uh, Google or something. You just get a data set, try to figure out some stuff, um, studied in applied mathematics, and then realized, you know what? Um, if you want to uh, use your skills day in, day out, you need to be good with computers. Mm -hmm. So uh, data science was never something that I kind of plan on going. Um, I just kind of fell into it. I was, I was studying to become an actuary uh, for the longest part. And then I was like, hey, I can do the same kind of stuff, but with other industry and insurance just by changing my title and and then it became just that amazing yeah what would you consider your first success as a data scientist um i would say well the moment that i decided to call myself a data scientist uh we um i was working with uh for equifax at the time it's couple of years ago mm -hmm. and um, we were working on a model for um, detecting uh, propensity to uh, either fraud the systems or requiring more money it was for a government agency in Canada which is responsible for distributing money to uh, um, uh, people less fortunate and hmm. it, it was it was so enlightening. It was so cool to see that you were able to use data for something else than uh, pure profitability. It was like doing good. The model ended up being uh, pretty well received. Um, and it was actually, it was kind of a big win for me because it was the first time that I was doing something end to end with PySpark. Uh, and it was such an uphill battle getting the environment to work. So it was kind of like, <laughs> yes, I've made it. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Because uh, you had mentioned in the pre-interview that uh, you're, you're happy technically. And so basically now you're just anything you're doing is kind of optimizing for fun. And I was kind of, I was curious, at what point did that, did that occur? Cause at, cause at one point you were kind of like, I better get skilled up. So, but now you're just optimizing for fun. I thought I've never heard of that before. Well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, uh, it's kind of taking, uh, enjoy the journey, not the destination to your career path. Mm. Um, you know, I'm at the point where 
I get to wake up in the morning. Um, I, I don't have to wonder like, oh my God, I have to go to work. I'm excited. I work with awesome people. I do uh, awesome and cool stuff. So when I want to learn something, I'm not really looking at, oh, I need to sit down and study that thing and it's going to be boring. It, it, there's so many things, so many interesting things that you can get to pick and choose. Mm. Um, so one week I might be like, oh, you know what? I'm so into visualization. So I might learn like a new library and then it can be like, oh, um, I want to uh, get better at deep learning. Um, my favorite part of learning anything is spending money. So uh, like buying this stuff, like a new graphic card or a new book or a new uh, course online is, is, uh, is, is something I really enjoy doing. And it, it, it kind of removes the pressure of like, oh, but one more next thing. Yeah. Just be happy to learn. Mm, that's cool. It sounds like you uh, don't hesitate for a second to invest in yourself too. It's kind of what I'm hearing. Um, well, <laughs> you know, um, I, um, when I've done my master's, I was working full time. Uh, I wrote uh, um, my master's thesis on uh, privacy preserving algorithm. Um, and it was so hard. Um, and I realized that everybody who's producing material, whether it is like books or webinar or podcasts, there's such a big amount of work that, uh, you know, what you're paying at the end is not necessarily for the material, but you're paying for the time to polish something and to have something easily understood. So, um, hmm. this is also the reason why I started writing a PySpark book, because when I was learning PySpark myself, uh, I was going from blog post to blog post, wasn't any directions. Um, I was doing the wrong thing for a couple of weeks without realizing that the answer was just in the API. Hmm. Uh, I think I've read the API like seven or eight times, like cover to cover. Okay. Um, and then, and then I was just like, you know what? I'll try to explain it the way I wish somebody would have taught me. Hmm. Wow. Um, yeah, it seems like you're reading off my notes here because the next question was, where did, where did you get the idea for your new PySpark and action book? Uh, well, I owe it, like if, if, I'm, if I'm able to name drop someone, um, sure. I, I probably owe it to uh, uh, my former manager at Equifax. Her name is uh, Regina. Um, awesome. She is, she's a pure hardcore statistician. Like she's, she's from that school where SAS is the beginning and the end of stuff. And hmm. uh, working with her, she came up to me one day um, and she was like, I want to get better at Hadoop. I want to get better at Spark and you're going to help me. Um, <laughs> so we ended up whiteboarding, explaining some concept and it was so much hmm. fun. And she was such a good student uh, uh, that I was like, you know what? There must be other people that... Uh, would like to uh, learn the same way or and, and have something practical and um, and then I got uh, randomly uh, Manning approached me to review a book uh, which ended up uh, not working and uh, I was enjoying the process so much that I was like I'm, I'm gonna put a proposal so I work with one of the development editor, which is now my development editor. Um, and, and we crafted a proposal and 
I think I barely made it. They're very, very demanding. <laughs> That's good <laughs> but, for the readers though. Right? Uh, I think so. I okay. mean, <laughs> Manning is how I learned to program. So okay. I owe wow. them quite a lot. Hmm. That's amazing, man. Yeah, they, uh, well, let me, let me ask you this. Why do you think people will love your new book or do you already have some stories of, of uh, feedback? Um, well, I mean, there, there's some people at work that kind of volunteer to review my book and, and I got, uh, I, I got a couple of emails. Um, I work with, uh, people that are extremely, extremely technical. So we have a lot of healthy debate. Uh, I, I think the reason, I hope the reason readers will like my book is the same reason why I like writing it. Um, it's because I'm trying to find fun stuff, uh, trying to give a good overview of the power of Spark, um, and, and also just trying to advertise by Spark um, a little bit. Um, I think that beyond the fact that it's big data ready and there's plenty of things that you can do with it, uh, it's also just a beautiful, well-designed API that, uh, really, really talks to the way I think. Um, I call it kind of the Mario analogy where the data starts in one place and then you go from a pipe to another pipe to another pipe. Um, and, and it's very, very easy to, to think about it. Hmm. Um, I, I still need, like, I mean, I can code PySpark by memory, but I still need the pandas documentation when I'm doing something that's a little bit more complex than the usual like selection and filtering and group by. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. That sounds the, I, I uh, enjoyed Mario quite a bit actually. So <laughs> I, I can appreciate that. Um, what skills were the hardest skills to cultivate along your journey in data science? You're a Fo lead now. Um, focus. Focus. <laughs> All right. Uh, there, there's so many things to learn, um, and mm. I, I have a very bad habit of um, kind of self-sabotaging me uh, because I'm trying to optimize for something. Uh, I mean, the best example is, um, you know, I'm writing a book, so I do a lot of typing. I thought that this spring, I mean, as a matter of fact, like as of a month ago, I learned a new keyboard layout. I'm trying Cold Mac. Okay. So basically, basically my typing speed went from like 70 word per minute to like 10. Yeah. Uh, um, so it, it happens to me all too often where, uh, you know, especially when you're writing a book, it, it is so tempting to go learn some other stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm, I, I should learn the new like programming language or I want to do something more low level. I'm going to learn Rust. And I'm like, you don't have the time take nope. one thing, master it properly. Um, and it's been, it's been, uh, you know, it's been a constant struggle. Like when I was doing my, my studies, it, it was the same thing. Uh, mm -hmm. focusing on one single thing was almost impossible. So yeah, mm. I, I would say <laughs> probably not the answer you were expecting, but I, yeah, I think it's focus. Like I have a hard time focusing. I'm, I'm so happy you brought that up actually. Cause, um, especially like I'm, I'm big on self-education. I don't have a background in computer science. I reinvented myself as a, as a software developer. And so I'm always questioning, like, is this the best use of my time right now? Should I be learning something else? And so you're talking about focus. 
And it just kind of begs the question, like, you know, how do you know what to focus on? Do you have mentorship or online resources or like, how are you, is it like a curriculum that you just, I, I'm, I'm just curious, like, how did you choose that path to even focus on, I guess? Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty lucky as, as part of my job, I get to work with a team uh, or, or coach a team of, of extremely smart data scientists. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things that I've kind of decided is I'm, I'm going to focus on the stuff that I want to teach them. So uh, I like, you know, being a consultant, you get to work on multiple projects, multiple clients. So that diversity is pretty much a given. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I get to focus on uh, what's appropriate for the project at hand and give myself a list. And then I have one day a week where I can learn anything. Mm. Um, and usually it's the funniest day of the week. I try to put in on a Saturday so you have more time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's my strategy right now, but talk to me in two months and <laughs> change. No, that that's amazing. I, some of the little golden nuggets that I'm hearing is like, it's really hard to do this alone. It, it's probably like, you're probably experiencing a lot of that one plus one equals three stuff, just being around amazing humans and uh, kind of borrowing their brain from time to time. Is that, is that a fair statement or? Oh, very much so. Um, okay. I mean, um, you when you get to to have a say on on who you're hiring and who you work with, um, it, it's always good to strive for diversity of thought. And, mm-hmm. and although we're all uh, evolving in data science, well, within my small nugget of a team, but we're part of big data in terms of competency. Um, there's difference of opinion, difference of in scholarity, difference in uh, uh, perspective, and, and it makes it really cool. Uh, I, I, I'm very proud of the people I get to work with uh, because they, they challenge me. Uh, they ask questions and I, I pretend I know the answer and then I just Google faster than them. <laughs> I That skill is, I mean, I. All I got to say is that's a, that's a great skill. A lot of people may uh, not rate that very high or even be aware that that is a skill, but uh, I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> it, it crops up from time to time. It's a good skill to have. Um, when it comes to problem solving with data, what is your general framework for tackling the unknown? Um, I spend an insane amount of time doing exploration. Um, uh, one of the one of the things that I like saying uh, a lot to new data scientists is that although machine learning is the fun stuff, everybody likes fitting a model, and this is what's being valued. Um, at the end of the day, a lot of what you're going to be doing is data manipulation. So it's important to be good, and it's important to be fast. Uh, you need to gain an intuition about multiple ways of the data can be organized. Get yourself a couple of mental models. You know, if you're working with sales data, well, this is usually what you're going to see. And, and then explore and gain a, quickly an intuition about 
okay, what, what kind of outliers might I expect? And what kind of um, pitfall might I, uh, I go into? Um, every problem that I face, there's always something that puts me off and I'm, I'm always very happy <laughs> because I get to add it into my kind of mental collection. Mm -hmm. um, but the faster you get at this, the more you're able to do in the same amount of time. Uh, and to me, it's, it's really the, uh, the, the most important part. And then I'm always, always doing a stupid, dummy, horrible model uh, because it removes the pressure. Yep. Like you're like, okay, like the performance is horrible, but we can't go below this. And, and that gives kind of a, an estimate of like how many zeros of effort do you need to put in order to get something workable? Um, mm. If you're, if you're giving your best shot and, and you're so far off the target, well, then you need to reevaluate and it might not be worth putting all of the efforts into solving the problem. But if, if you're, getting a good feeling after that, that first throwaway model, then it, it gives you kind of a, a, an extra oomph in, in order to continue. Um, yeah, I, it, I, like, I like removing the pressure um, along the way. Um, and especially when you're working as a consultant where everybody expects you to be an expert from day one, uh, well, it gives you the right vocabulary to be able to say like, uh, am I allowed to be optimistic? Um, because the moment you say something, even if you don't remember saying it, your client's going to hold you accountable until no end. Right. Yeah. So if you don't mind me, uh, digging into that a little <laughs> bit, so you're talking about, uh, almost kind of setting their expectations with some language that you're using. So when you, when you request, am I allowed to be optimistic? Are you basically saying like, Am I allowed to, what, what is that? Like what kind of expectation is that setting them up for, I guess? Oh, um, well, I mean, you know, um, you, uh, part of project estimation is saying this is going to take approximately X amount of week before you look at the data, um, okay. <laughs> which is, you know, when you're saying it out loud, it sounds crazy, but th there's not a whole lot of companies that are going to say like, Hey, have a look at my data and come back with an estimate. No. Um, so the, the faster you're able to get a good overview and, and get something at least like some sense of control, what you're able to say like, oh yeah, no, this is going to be problematic. Like the data is poorly encoded. Um, I've, I've gone through some CSVs that have like five delimiters, sometimes two different delimiters in the same room. I don't know how this happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yet at the moment that you, you get something out and you're able to, okay, like it, it's, uh, this is going to be like easier than what I thought, or this is going to be much harder. And, and you're able to level set with yourself and you're able to know like, how, how much time, you, how many evenings are you going to have to spend like trying to get that extra point of performance or um, is it going to be a walk in the park? It's rarely a walk in the park, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Actually, actually anytime that, that idea crops up in like a meeting or something like that, I'm instantly like, okay, double whatever your expectation is because I know something, it's never that easy. <laughs> and, and people forget that making pretty stuff takes time. Um, mm -hmm. like 
presenting the information. Um, uh, you know, I don't remember where I got that saying, but it must be pretty popular. Like people said, it's machine learning if it's made in Python, it's AI if it's in PowerPoint. Um, <laughs> but you know, summarizing your, your, your model outcome, what does it mean for a business user? All of this takes an insane amount of time. Um, and, and people have a tendency not to realize, um, uh, you know, when you're preparing something. I've made more PowerPoints in my life over the past year. And hmm. um, it, it's not something that I hate because, you know, it's always a good exercise. How do you translate between the two language? Yeah. Um, but but it, it takes so much time um, to do them properly. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it just... It just brings uh, up so many questions just regarding like when it comes to, uh, well, I, I guess I'm just hung up on like the expectation side of thing. Perhaps it's because I struggle with it a lot at my work and I'm always kind of seeking for like better ways. But like when you're, when you're approaching these projects, is it just um, like what is a resource, I guess, for somebody who they maybe they don't have a lot of project management experience, but they're kind of like playing for keeps, you know? Mm -hmm. So they've got, they have like no, they have no room for like, you know, they're playing for keeps. So what, what is your advice to somebody who's maybe doesn't have the experience level that you have, but they're in, um, you know, everything, every minute counts type thing. What's your advice there? Uh, Ask people who do. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's something that you you gain through screwing up. <laughs> uh, yep. And 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 you know, th this is this is something that I personally have a little bit of a hard time with, and and I have to pace myself. Is you know, everybody's going to have a tendency to overpromise. People get very excited about what they do, but you know, you can't guarantee performance for a model like yeah it, it's not an experiment if you're already certain of the results um you you can be very confident but you can't guarantee it um and, and i get you know some some more junior employees even sometimes some more senior employees they get overly confident and then they have to work extra hard and and you have to let them because they 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 set that up for themselves as and, and they need to learn that um, nobody is, it's, it's not necessarily about how you're gonna announce uh, the news as, as how you're managing expectations from the get-go. And, mm. and you get into it and you get to ease into it. Um, to me, the, the, uh, the, like one of my key driver is uh, reading a lot about a problem before um, asking a ton of questions um, and the, the body language and, and the, the, uh, the number, how detailed you are is, is going to give the implicit uh, feeling to your audience that you're taking this seriously and, and you're, you're, you're not trivializing what it is. Yeah. Um, hmm. And then account time for engineering. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I, I am uh, really appreciating what you're sharing there. It's like uh, you spend, like if you were going to put it in a pie chart of mm -hmm. research, execution, I guess engineering would be part of the, like you design before you execute. Mm -hmm. 
or maybe there's like an iterative process, but I'm just trying to figure out like what percentage of the pie is kind of spent where just to kind of give people an idea of like how important that upfront work is. So I, I would say if, if you're new to a domain, like 20 to 25% of your time should be spent understanding uh, what is, uh, what is uh, the domain about. Um, one of the, one of the things that people tend to forget is uh, people have still have a low understanding of what, not only what is machine learning, but what is forecasting or what is like any kind of predictive science and, and what kind of problem do they solve? Um, and, and you know, there's nothing worse than realizing three weeks into the project that what they need is an, you're trying to solve an optimization problem or you're, you're trying to solve uh, just a data availability problem where you have a table in one database and you have a table in another database and the moment that you join those two, magically it's everything they ever wanted. Um, and it happens more often than one would think. Um, data preparation, data engineering, data understanding is, I would say, another like almost 50% of your time um, and then machine learning um, is, is going to be shared between, uh, I don't know, like 15, 20, like I'm going to go over a hundred. I'm pretty certain. <laughs> of it. Uh, and yeah. then the balance is, is always communication. And, and, you know, overall in a project, if you're not alone, people are going to have a tendency to fall into places. Yeah. I have, I have, I know some people that are extremely good at, uh, summarizing and explaining stuff. I have people that are wicked smart at data engineering. Um, I have people that love, love, love to do modeling. Um, so people tend to balance and it's important to emphasize on what you're good, but also keep in mind that um, there's more than like, there's more than the classical data analysis, machine learning and results presentation to a project. Like if you're working with people, managing managing them takes a lot of time. Hmm. What what's like your favorite tool? Is it like Slack or like what is what is kind of your favorite tool for that kind of collaborative making um, work? We uh, well, the company I work for, we use Teams. Um, hmm. um, I I would say I like it. Um, I'm I'm learning to use it better. Um, I'm, I'm a compulsive doodler, uh, so um, I use my iPad and Microsoft Whiteboard, which is integrated with it. Um, it's it's kind of really cool. I had one of my data scientists in Eastern Europe. We work on a project, and I had the chance to meet him in person, um, and I bought a Wacom tablet because I, I couldn't stand him using the mouse and painting in paint.net. It was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it, Teams is a pretty good uh, uh, collaboration tool. Um, I have some clients that are using Slack. I'm, I'm still utterly confused about how it works. It seemed very distracting. Yeah. Um, and, and there's another one uh, that I would like to try. It's, I don't remember what it's called, uh, but it's made by the people at Todoist. Um, okay. I, I, th the name is, is escaping me for some reason, but I'm, I used to do this as a task management tool. Um, I was an omni-focus guy for a long time, and then I decided to 
like, you know what, like, let's uh, disrupt my workflow just for the heck of it. Yeah. Um, and, and I really like what they're doing with it. Uh, hmm. It's it's fun to, uh, I, I'm a button clicker. I like to see my task going away. Yeah. Whatever is gratifying, it's got to be fun. I love it. Uh, yeah, thanks for sharing all that. And I was curious. So th this is where we dive into the Pi Spark. I will probably say Pi Spark 30 plus <laughs> times in the next uh, half hour or so. Okay, what do you recommend for people to learn that solves 80% of the challenge getting proficient with Pi Spark? Um, you're you're going to find it extremely funny, but if you don't know SQL, learn SQL. I love it. Um, isn't that from I, the seventies? Uh, it is, but, but you know, spark spark has a SQL API that is very well done. It's, it's really fun to use. And, and then like, if it's not good enough of a sign that the data manipulation module of PySpark is called PySpark.sql. Amazing. So, um, where is where select to select group by group by order by order by. So you have, all of this, but it's just like you, you method chain your transformation instead of having to remember like where you put your stuff. So learn the vocabulary, understand the semantic, and then going through the API for PySpark data manipulation, 80%, mm -hmm. like the rest, the 20% that's remaining, which is managing partition, uh, uh, taking care of data locality and all that sort of stuff, you can learn after the fact. Um, but learn SQL, like take one day to understand that, get SQLite yeah. on your computer or, or Spark, like Spark SQL, mm -hmm. and, then, and then have a blast at it. And then, um, uh, and then maybe the other thing uh, is learn um, uh, how to type your data properly. So uh, like, a lot of people in Python are relying on, on Python usually doing the right thing, but uh, Spark is a Scala pro program. So remembering that uh, an integer in a long is a different thing uh, and, and what does it imply uh, can go a long way in understanding why is certain operations are working the way they are um, and also uh, making sure that you're getting the best performance without having to tinker too much. Hmm. Wow. I'm, I'm so happy you said that I got into a, like a little battle once upon a, a, you know, a mental battle or a nerd battle, whatever you want to call it. But like, I'm convinced SQL is the best first language to learn. But the argument was, yeah, if you learn SQL, you won't want to learn anything else because you can do almost everything in SQL. So, uh, but S SQL is amazing. You can, it teaches you how to work with sets of data, which is <laughs> I, I learned it first and I took it for granted, but a lot of people struggle with like, you know, set operations and, and what mm -hmm. that means. Um, yeah, that's totally true. Um, and, and you know, you don't get to realize it. It's, it's the kind of thing that once you've learned it, you tend to forget what it is to learn it. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, um, I, I remember there's uh, one of my former colleagues when I was working uh, for a reinsurance company, he wrote a mortality study, like basically like billions of dollars in liabilities in like SQL script that would run sequentially one after the other. 
Um, and, and he was comparing my implements, his implementation to my Python implementation. And, and we got into such a fight. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but it was very impressive. Like, you, you know, you're able to do a lot of stuff with that tool. Um, yeah, I agree. It's, it's a great, uh, I would say it's a great second language, like Python first, then SQL, then PySpark. <laughs> Amazing. And if you have all three, you're, you're all powerful in this data engineering department is kind of what it sounds like. Maybe some DevOps in there, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, DevOps is is uh, is is uh, a big can of worm. I, I uh, <laughs> it's it's my biggest time waster. There's so much stuff to learn, and it's it's yeah. so interesting, and it's such the, for a data scientist, it is it is such a perfect way to make sure you're gonna spend so much time doing work that at the end of the day, most people won't care about. Right. Uh, it's a good way to make sure you have control over the stuff you can have control over. Mm, yeah. And it, it's just, I experienced the same thing at work. It's like, if I just, I feel like if I just had a little more powers in the DevOps department, I would be, I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't even, I, I feel like I'd get a pay raise every month or something, but <laughs> it's hard to, uh, it's just hard to peel back, peel, you know, get that time. And so anyway, Uh, what is overly complicated that new people should stay away from when getting trying to become proficient with PySpark? Um, that's an excellent question. You're catching me by surprise. Um, I would say, like most things, the perfect is the enemy of the good. Um, uh, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people, uh, you know, if you're using the ML pipelines. So Spark has two uh, uh, kind of machine learning module. There's the ML lib that targets uh, a data structure um, and then Spark.ml that targets the data frame, which is like kind of the tabular quote unquote implementation. Mm -hmm. um, and and there, there's a beautiful ML pipeline API that you see on on all uh, uh, blogs and the documentation is using it quite a bit and I see a lot of people getting very confused because they don't really understand why they um, they need that ML pipeline and hmm. and my answer to this is usually is if you don't think you're needed don't use it eventually it's going to become obvious why you need uh, to use it. It's the same thing with using an ID. Like you need to code using Notepad or, or something very cruddy for a little while uh, that doesn't have syntax highlighting, that doesn't have like the automatic for space, that doesn't have a linter or something like, um, uh, you know, automatic, uh, like the squiggly line under when you have an error mm -hmm. uh, to appreciate why you need those things and 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 you don't need to go full tilt as as you uh as, as you go along i i still use emacs as a python ide just because i've spent 15 years of my life learning it so i'm never going away ever <laughs> um and 
and, and you know, some people ask me, hey, how do you get into it? And I was like, just get the vanilla thing. Learn control A, control E, control X, control C to exit. Um, and then eventually you're going to be like, hey, maybe I can do more. And then you add something and then you add something. Um, and then you, uh, you drop everything and you get uh, something pre-managed for you because you're realizing that uh, this fits your workflow. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, yeah, I think, yeah, I think this is the, uh, what stumps a lot of people a lot of the time. And, um, you know, it's the same thing in scikit-learn. A lot of people uh, are confused when they're using like the scikit-learn pipeline and same advice is applicable. Like don't use them. And then eventually you're going to be like, oh, this is so much better, but you'll understand why it's so much better. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm sit, I'm basically like backseat driver right now, just kind of observing the, what you're, you're saying here. And it's like, it fits very well with the same way that you approach problem solving. It's kind of like the quick first pass. You never really go. You just, you, you kind of want to get the lay of the land and eventually things will kind of present themselves for, okay, I need like, I'm typing this thing over and over again, or this is absolutely not going to work. Let me see how I can fix it. I, I love that approach. I don't know. I don't know how to articulate the words to describe that yet, but I think that's your superpower, man. Um, you know, a lot of people would say like that, kind of my definition of agile. I'm probably not going to have a lot of friends. I, I, I'm not agile certified. I'm not any of those things, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've read uh, enough references to be able to misappropriate the term. Mm -hmm. uh, you, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of iterating. It's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's what I find really fun. Um, and, and usually if I spend enough time on something one day it's not perfect but i feel like it's done and and then i'm able to go on another call mm, excellent yeah and you may have answered this question already but i just want to address it head on here where do newcomers struggle most when learning PySpark? um it's I, I would say a, a lot of the mistakes that I see is um, misunderstanding uh, how the how Spark manages computations. Um, okay. You know, even though Python, PySpark is in Python. Sorry, um, Spark is still a Scala program, and it has a lot of the ergonomics of Scala embed into it. So one of the fundamental thing is you type transformation, let's say select an aware, a group by an account just for fun. Um, and then you press enter in your REPL and it's going to return almost immediately. And you're like, well, I don't see any data. And, and, and the trick is spark will kind of, um, cash your operations. And until you're asking for an action, which is show me the data or write it somewhere, then it will optimize uh, the, the query plan. And it, it stumps a lot of people because they, uh, they tend to forget that because of this, they can offload a lot of the complexity 
to the optimizer and, and worry about making their code easy to read and easy to understand. Um, and, and also remembering of like having a good mental model of what's going to come next. Like if you're doing with column, okay, this is what it's going to return. And um, what is my schema and, and how can I work more uh, efficiently without having to look at the data all the time? Mm. Um, although Spark is relatively fast, when you're working with big data, it, it might take a little bit of time to get the results. And, and the less, like the more you're able to keep into your head, the less you will have to wait for that progress bar that I grew fond of uh, uh, in Spark. Hmm. Excellent. What are the core competencies somebody needs to consider uh, acquiring when deploying PySpark at scale? Um, well, first of all, a, a very good understanding of um, how uh, data is represented in Spark. Um, so, you know, um, understanding what is a data frame, how it differs from a pandas data frame, um, and, and what are some of the operations that uh, don't scale well. A, a, a perfect example is although, uh, you know, see, joins in SQL are very trivial, like because you have index on one side, index on the other side, make the join, everybody's happy. Um, when you think about it, a join in PySpark is a horrible operation to do because your data might be split across multiple computers. And if you're not careful, uh, maybe that maybe your 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 key uh, on on the left table, the equivalent key on the right table might be on another computer. Uh, so everybody's talking. You know, when you're working with pandas, everybody's saying like, "Hey, RAM is fastest." Um, and then if you're able to inline your operations properly, you can use like uh, SIM or like take advantage of like parallelization. Who cares in Spark if you have to send data across the network? Mm. It's 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 so slow. And um, in in um, in Spark term, it's called a, a shuffle. And and you know not all shuffles are bad, but um, you know a lot of uh, like uh, one one of the first things that I learned, and it took me by Spark to learn how to do them properly, is is becoming a fan of window functions. Um, I. It's going to be out in the open and everybody will know, but up until a couple of years ago, I was doing self-joins mm -hmm. to, to get my, my window stuff. Um, and uh, it's, it was actually for my interview with ETAM that I think, I was like, okay, I need to learn this because like, they're a bunch of software engineers, so they're going to laugh at me. And now I'm acting like I knew it for forever. Yeah, window. I, I've only messed with those in uh, SQL Server, but they're pretty. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. It's like you can do aggregations without doing without doing a group by. So you can get all kinds of like, I don't know. There's a bunch. It's a whole uh, uh, can of worms, I guess you would say. Just of fun. Uh, <laughs> and and they're so so much prettier in PySpark. Oh like really? You create okay. you create a window object so. And, and then once your window object is used, uh, you can reuse it all the time. And 
Um, mm. And this is pretty cool. Like, I mean, it, it makes, PySpark makes SQL. Um, you're able to use like variable that are going to uh, hold one part of the computation. Okay. And, and it makes like uh, building your queries uh, so, it, it's like a beautiful puzzle that like you never want it to end. It's, it sounds like uh, like SQL, but Legos, which I don't know which one I like more. So <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing, I, I, man. I'm so excited to go back to work and play around with this. I might steal it from you. This, this, I, I might use that. Like the Lego analogy, that's a good one. It, that's exactly what it sounds like, man. But uh, yeah, steal away. Um, okay, so I have another question for you here. What have you learned about effective communication in your role as a data scientist? Um, my, <laughs> that was a long pause. Um, <laughs> I, what did I learn about communication into my role? Um, mm -hmm. Honesty pays off a whole lot more than uh, what people will tell you. Okay. Uh, you know, everybody is always saying, oh, it's important to be honest and it's important to be uh, um, uh, like truthful and, and uh, not butter up people. But people tend to remember. And, 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 you know, especially in a world like data science where there's a lot of uh, potential snake oil and, mm -hmm. and people are always getting uh, extremely excited and, and selling is, is such a, an underrated skill. Like you, for, for everything, everybody hates salespeople. Like, but what they're doing is, is literally uh, manipulating you into doing something that they want, which is such a useful skill when you get to think of it. But um, I, I would say like honesty is, is, when you're managing expectation and saying uh, what what you really think, and it's not it doesn't make it doesn't make all problems go away, uh, but people tend to remember that, and it mm. it gives you uh, a good uh, kind of good karma. I've I've had long lasting professional relationship with some clients and some coworkers just because. I, I think it's because when I don't know something or when I think I'm not able to do it, um, I'm upfront and I say, well, this is what I think I need to do in order to help you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and using this as not necessarily a weapon um, is, is, uh, is really important because uh, I, I, I think I'm naturally somebody who likes to please people. Like I always like to come up with the good news and everything. Mm -hmm. um, and it's important to remember that even if you didn't mean to do it, if you're, um, if, I don't know if I can say that here, but if you're bullshitting someone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can uh, they, speak freely, my friend. <laughs> they, they tend to, uh, e even if they're going to say your friend or even if they're uh, going to, uh, um, to keep talking to you, uh, it's, it's something broke. And, and uh, uh, people forgive, but they don't tend to forget. Um, mm. And wow. if, if you want to stay in the field, I, I think it's important because we're doing stuff that 
people, you know, I see computer science and mathematics are the only two things that people, like, I, I know people that come to me and they say like, oh, I'm not a math person or I'm not a computer person. And, and they have a sense of pride, and I, which I don't get to understand because, you know, most people work with computers for 40 hours a week. Right. So like if you're bad with computers, if you work on them for 40 hours a week, you must suck at cooking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, oh man, that's, uh, you, br you bring up some really good, really good points here, man. Like, uh, people do business with people they like and trust is the fastest way to ruin mm -hmm. the, the likability, you know, of, of, uh, of a situation. Mm -hmm. So, Man, I'm so thankful that you shared that. That's a great reminder. I think everybody knows that, but from time to time, we need to be reminded for sure. And, and it's not the end of the world if you happen to, like, I'm pretty sure I, I still get to do it once in a while. And mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's, it's always better to own it and, and move on uh, because that's, that's what people will remember. If, if you own up to your mistake and you're offering a genuine way to help, um, uh, people will remember that more than you screwing up. Yeah, that's, and that's how you get those long-term relationships. Like what you're just describing there is that's, that's exactly what it sounds like. It's touching wood that it stays like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. Um, where would you say, if you just had to kind of take a stab at this, mm -hmm. Uh, where would you say are the most lucrative opportunities to monetize PySpark skills right now? Is it like an industry or a certain like aspect of the technology that people really lack? The floor is um, yours. Well, I would say, I would say like if I'm, if I'm looking at what I see going through LinkedIn, uh, data engineering using Spark is, is a good way. I, I would say it's, getting proficient and, and happy using the technology in, in a way that's going to be conductive to some business is this is probably a good path. Um, uh, I, I see like Amazon use Spark, uh, a lot of banks, uh, uh, you know, um, even if you're, um, uh, you're working for a smaller company, um, it, it gets, Kind of tempting to use it quite fast uh, because although the moment that uh, everybody says like oh your data probably fits into one computer uh, that might be true but not everybody is able to uh, to buy like hundreds of thousands of RAM because you want a computer with like a terabyte of it um, like I, I was uh, um, like I usually, like I, I have a small spark cluster in, at my home, like there's a master node and two slave and, uh, or worker, uh, there you go. Um, mm -hmm. And like it costs me a couple of hundred dollars, which I'm able to process much more, a lot more data than it was a single node and I would have invested the same amount of money. So uh, companies are waking up and, and there's a second stream of industry and a third stream of industry. Um, and I would say, a lot of uh, trans data transformation, like Spark is a good way to, uh, you know, if you're, if you're looking to get data out of a database um, and you want to put it like on the lake or to 
uh, do a little bit more uh, using a more expressive way than SQL, for instance. Uh, um, it, it's also a good way to get there. there. There's a lot of opportunity to do like fun data manipulation in order to bring insights. And then machine learning is just around the corner. So you're able to ease into it. And sometimes it's a great way to, um, to be able to comfortably get into a position without having to make that big explosion like I am a data scientist. Um, because data science is still a lot of data manipulation. Hmm. Wow. Cool. That, that certainly uh, provides some ideas there. So thanks for sharing. What are your top three tips for self-educating as a data scientist? Um, find, uh, find a way you're most comfortable in, in uh, learning. So, um, you know, some people like videos, some people like books. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm an avid book reader. Uh, I try doing videos. I don't like them. Mm -hmm. um, also, uh, get yourself into a little bit of a routine. Uh, I, I like reading, like I wake up in the morning and then I get my coffee and I read a little bit um, and I, I find it uh, to be uh, quite proficient. And I'm, I'm a huge note taker. So I, I don't know if you see, well, I mean, you see probably the yeah. audience won't see. Like those are all like notebooks filled with notes. I, I'm never going to read them, but... It's, it's all like uh, a summary of, of stuff. And, and that's basically like, that's how I feel most productive in learning. So you don't have the excuse of school. Like you don't have to wake up and you don't have any exams and you don't have anything. So it becomes even more important to understand how do you make stuff stick inside your mind mm. um, so that you don't have to go over the same thing over and over again. Um, and then... Uh, maybe the final tip, yeah, I needed three, um, is um, give yourself uh, give yourself some credit. Uh, it's there's so much stuff to learn. Um, I mean, you know, if if you compare yourself to uh, Jeremy Howard, or if you compare yourself to Andrew Ng, or if you compare yourself to Joel Gruse, uh, like you're going to be mad at yourself for a very long time. But if you compare yourself from you yesterday, or if you're doing something that's, um, that you think is useful, um, and, and this is something I struggle with. Like I, sometimes I have a hard time starting something on my own. Like when it's at work, I need to get it done. So I just jump at it. But when it comes to like do something for myself, there's always that little voice behind my back that says like, oh, somebody must have done it probably better and and like in less time than what it's going to take you and you have to remind yourself that it doesn't matter because you're still going to be ahead of the 98 percent of the people that are just doing armchair data science mm -hmm. man that's that's powerful man i'm i'm so i want to dig real quick on the like making it stick so for you it's the act of writing you may never review it again but just that act is what makes it stick. Mm -hmm. um, have you found anything else that helps with uh, making making things stick? Or, I mean, it's just as simple as that. Um, well, there, there's like, I, I write something, I write everything twice. So okay. the first time it's it's the uh, that big, um, like note sheets over note, over sheet, over sheet. Um, 
back in the days when I was studying for my uh, professional exams to be for the Society of Actuaries, I, I bought a fountain pen, a very expensive fountain pen, and I would handwrite all of my notes using that fountain pen and my lucky bottle of ink because I thought that would help me. Um, and I passed every single exam that I've used that. And, Excellent. Um, but then once I'm done with that, I, I take like 10 sheets and I try to summarize them into one. And then okay. I use like visual. And, and the act of summarizing what's important and, and distilling the message becomes uh, uh, quite useful. Um, and I do the same thing when I'm writing a, a chapter is I do the opposite. I start with the kernel, then I write the source code, and then I expand on this. And then my editor comes and says, you've put too much fluff into this. You need to remove 15 pages. <laughs> Man, that's, that is uh, awesome. I am so... I'm so thankful that you're opening up the hood on how your brain operates and sharing that with us. I mean, for me, it just, it just gives me so much. Uh, I think about these things a lot. It gives me some inspiration, some new ideas. So thank you. Uh, what are your three favorite learning resources for PySpark? Um, well, I can put my book as number one. So. Oh yeah, shameless, <laughs> shameless plugs, shameless plugs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the, the first one is the, uh, uh, it, it's gonna sound stupid, but the PySpark API. Um, it's learning to read an API is, is something that I'm, I'm getting better by the day. And, and this one's a good one. It's, uh, it's easy to follow, <laughs> the examples are, are, are fun. Um, it's in my bookmarks and I refer to it all the time. Um, I, I would say uh, this, the, my other two resources, um, how did I, what did I end up using? Um, yeah, I use the API so much. Like if I'm looking back at my own learning, like, this is probably the only source that I was like, wow, this is really, really great. Yeah. Uh, there's another shameless plug. There's another book called Spark in Action, not to uh, <laughs> mix with my book that's made by Jean-Georges Perrin, uh, which is actually a very fun read, although it's, it's done for the Java programming language. Okay. A lot of the theory is the same. Uh, and he has a, a different writing style uh, than mine, which I really, really enjoy. And, and, you know, he's French, so I, I, I automatically like him. Uh, <laughs> um, and then, um, I've, I've also, uh, used a lot of the, um, uh, a lot of the Databricks specific material. Okay. Uh, when, when I was, uh, when I first started learning Spark, I was using a Cloudera cluster, you know, traditional Hadoop kind of, uh, setup. Mm -hmm. And I still found that the Databricks documentation was eons better than what uh, hmm. uh, Cloudera was providing, especially when it comes to manipulate like JSON structure or complex data type inside the data frame. Um, it, it never really, really clicked until I saw like Databricks had that notebook um, that basically was just like, this is how you do it. And, and their example hmm. were so deceptively simple. It's like, 
load that JSON, and then do that operation, and this is what you're going to get. And, and to this day, like, I still consider this as like one of the best learning tool, period, like hmm. how simple it was. Dang. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. That's amazing. If you had to start over from scratch, what would you do first to get started with PySpark? Um, well, you know, now uh, uh, the landscape is a lot different. Um, you know, um, Spark uh, is, is like Databricks has uh, a complete commercial offering that's very polished, that's available on AWS and Azure. Um, and, and, you know, Google Colab is available. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of the thing that I struggled when I started was to install, install the DOM, uh, sorry, install the DOM thing. There you go, I, uh, on, on, uh, on my computer. And, mm -hmm. and it was especially annoying because my work computer had like a network blocker or something like that. So Spark kind of like emulates a server on your local computer when you're doing this and it didn't work. And I was like, ah, oh, man. Uh, uh, so there, there's a lot more free options to play around and, and mm. follow some stuff. Um, so this is probably what I would uh, do and then apply it, um, apply it sooner. Um, you know, do a little bit of data manipulation at the start of my project and, or try to reproduce some of my Python workflow now that I starting to have a, a better body of, of, of personal projects. Uh, this would probably be, uh, I, I like using that for practical stuff. Um, and as well, don't hesitate to write about it. You know, if, if there's something that you feel you don't understand very well, and as a matter of fact, this is how I started uh, uh, writing my, my own book is I would, like I have text files on a variety of subject where I try to explain that to somebody who doesn't know uh, this. It helps that like, you know, my brother is a statistician for the government of Canada and uh, he's a hardcore SAS and R person um, where I'm, I'm very much into the Python camp. So mm -hmm. it, it, it's cool to be able to explain something without having to explain like what is a mean absolute error, but still being able to talk about um, some stuff where we're compatible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool to have that uh, sounding board. It's kind of like the Rosetta. Is it kind of like the Rosetta code thing where it's like you're, you're speaking the same concept, but it's different implementation or. Yeah. 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 He, he uses a worse implementation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. No, no, no. I, I just have to put a little bit of oil on the fire. Oh yeah. That's hilarious. Um, so what would be the first tool that you reach for if you had to start over again? Is it like the Google Colab? or something along those lines? Um, I, I would think so. Um, okay. It's, it's uh, um, you know, I, I haven't been um, doing as much research on like free offerings, uh, mm -hmm. mostly because, you know, Spark went a long way into uh, making it easy to install. Also, I migrated from uh, uh, Windows to a Mac recently and Spark is available in the Homebrew channel. Amazing. which is like perfect. Yep. Um, it was, it was like, you know, how to install PySpark in on OSX brew install spark. I think that's it. Like <laughs> over end of story. Um, nice. 
uh, yeah, it, it's it's interesting, and and you know, there, there's a growing ecosystem. Uh, I mean, I I've used the, the platform that I've used Spark the most on was um, Google Dataproc. Okay. Um, and I I found it to be like you know it's very like it mirrors the open source Spark very very well. Um, I'm I'm I like how Google structures their uh, SDK and order common line interface just because it's the first one that I've learned. Mm -hmm. um, but I found that um, it's like even if you're um, uh, you're very very new at this, like it's it's a good way to like easily get started at like no or very low cost. Um, and then campaign to use it on one of your next project. Um, there's nothing beats practical experience and you need to you've never used PySpark until you've cleaned a data set with it amazing <laughs> so that that leads me to my next question is at what point in a project should somebody reach for PySpark um, well you know um, I, I I don't know if it's still true now but um, I, I think the creator of pandas said that in order to be able to manipulate data comfortably and account, you should have 10 times the RAM as the size of your data. Mm -hmm. And then now, like, it, it begs the question, is it your data in CSV? Is it your data compressed? And uh, so fully aware that, like, it, it's, it's basically as good as nothing, what I'm saying. But uh, if you're... Even even if you're still working on uh, a low number of nodes, or your data is like let's say one or two terabytes, um, have a try. And and because one of the thing is Spark is going to use the hard drive, where I don't think Pandas does um, at this point. So um, it's it's a little harder to get like nasty out of memory exception. And on top of that, like if you're Usually my my stance was start with PySpark, but now I'm like start with Python, and if it doesn't work, move to PySpark, and then use that nifty library Databricks. Um, I I don't know how uh, spread it is, but there's a library called Koalas, which is basically a pandas API to PySpark, okay. which is really cool because you're able to scale. A, a large body of your pandas code to PySpark, and then and then you you can take it from there, modify what needs to be modified because there's always a little bit of readjustment, and then you're able to continue. So you won't lose as much time rewriting this stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I like I'm I'm like I'm preaching from my for from my turf. I, I use PySpark 99% of the time. Uh, just because I, I prefer using it, um, but it plays very well with pandas. So it, it's not an either or. Like start with what you're comfortable. The moment that the data gets a little unwieldy, or you're you're seeing that hey maybe I can uh, use another computer. Like don't don't start worrying about like oh I'm gonna split it. Or I'm gonna put it to disk. Like let, let Spark do the work. Um, hmm. You'll be happy. Amazing. 
Right on. So what are the uh, most exciting applications of privacy-aware AI that you can think of? Oh, shoot. Um, uh, it, it's, been, it's been a few years. I, full disclosure, uh, I, I haven't been paying as much attention. You know, when I was researching this, like you, you need to be on top and I, I'm reading about um, uh, a ton of stuff. Um, I, I know there's been a, a ton of um, uh, development in homomorphic encryption. So, you know, you encrypt something, but you're able to process the data and then you send it back and the person's able to decrypt and get the result. Mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like black magic. Um, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. I've, I've done a, a cryptography class during my master's. Um, I still don't understand how I passed it. It is so surreal as a field, but it's, it's tremendously fun. And um, I, I think there's a lot of, of promising research to be done in there. Like, could you imagine hmm. you take your data set, you encrypt it, you send it on AWS. You don't care if like your, the service has a leak, if the data gets into it because it's encrypted and then it comes back as an encrypted result set. And then you decrypt it and you're able to see like we're, we're still pretty far out from hmm. this, but there's a lot of, of new algorithm, uh, I think now substring can work. Uh, so it's, it's really, really cool. Uh, differential privacy. Uh, you, you know, when I was doing my master's, um, it, it, was, it was kind of that uh, new thing that a lot of people were unsure about how it could get applied. Um, I, I love the mathematics behind this. Like it's, it's still something that uh, I, I think is a thing of beauty. And I know Apple now uses it for um, a couple of their services. Basically it's, you know, you query information from a database. Uh, the response, they're gonna introduce some controlled noise into the response so that you're unable to identify a single person. And I, I'm not 100% sure. I think they're using it for their Maps API or, or, or something like this, but I find this to be like really, really cool uh, and and interesting because it changes the perspective on, you know, everybody says it's better to be approximately right than precisely wrong. Like that is kind of a good, uh, uh, like a, a, a good line of defense. Um, and, and then it's not necessarily in terms of computer science, but I think people being more aware of what they're like, how people uses their data and, and a lot of the privacy um, guidelines, like realizing that it's, it's not because uh, you, you don't mind sharing stuff or you have quote unquote, nothing to hide that everybody should know your stuff. Like um, I don't want people to read my email. I, I, I don't like the concept of being tracked for advertising. And um, so having those things made more apparent is, is something that I welcome. Um, hmm. Like don't be creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's uh, oh, I forget what Google's old motto was. It was something about don't be, evil. Don't, don't be evil. Yeah. Unless, yeah, that, that there's some, uh, there's a little bit of, of uh, funniness to that, I guess. But 
Uh, if someone wanted to learn a low-level language, what would or what should they be asking themselves so they can self-educate? Um, so, I mean, you know, low-level low-level languages in 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 me is, you know, it's a long story of like perpetual. Like I'm getting into it, and then I pull back, and um, I've been learning Rust recently. Okay. Um, uh, this is my big time waster. I, I, I love how the language is. I love everything. Like, it, it is very enlightening. It's, it's very obvious that it is a smart language. Um, my, my partner is learning C uh, at the moment because uh, he works on microcontrollers. And um, it's, you know, it like compared to a language like Python, there's so much stuff that you have to worry about that you don't have to when you're doing Python. Like you're leaving a lot of speed potentially on, on the table in order to have better ergonomics uh, or, or a, a nicer coding experience. So it, I, I think it's important to remember that every programming language is, is a question of trade-off and um, like how performant do you want it to be versus how verbose versus how um, uh, expressive, like what is possible. So I guess my, like my short answer would be learn Lisp. Like it's, it's uh, uh, kind of a good compromise. Uh, but then again, like it basically guarantees that you're never going to come out of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that that works for me. I've I've heard a lot about Rust actually. That's that's come up a few times on the show, and people seem to really love it. So. It's it's yeah, it's it's pretty fun. I mean, I I also think that it's uh, it's kind of a breath of fresh air. Like you know, you see a lot of people doing like trying to do a better C or um, Rust was something different. Um, mm. And uh, it's cool to have a low-level language that also adhere to like functional uh, constructions. So uh, yeah, it, it, it kind of hits a sweet spot to me. And awesome. It starts with R. It's, it's a cool name, which also matters. <laughs> awesome. Uh, what did you learn from the decision-making process when contemplating abandonment of one opportunity to pursue another? Um, well, <laughs> yeah, uh, this one is, uh, I, I hate giving up. It's, it's, and, and it is, it is an annoying problem where, uh, you, you know, it's, it's so tough to say to yourself, I am not going to do this. Um, so I did my undergrad in actuarial science, and it comes with uh, a plethora of exams. And I, I wasn't really good at those exams because they, they required so much dedication. Uh, I, I think on average, I might have spent like five to 600 hours studying for each one of them. I, Holy cow. I think I have five or six of them. I don't remember. Um, they're very useful because you get to master some concept very, very well. And 
the knowledge sticks. Well, I mean, it sticks for me. Um, but, you, you know, when it was time to, when I decided to go for my master's, um, one of the thing, and I remember I got a good chat with my boss and, and she was very honest and she said, you can't do everything. Um, you can't work full time and do the exams and do your master's um, and, and, and try to accomplish it all because you're, you're, at one point something's got to give and it's not going to be the thing you want. And, and this is like learning to prioritize and, and rank order. What's your, what's most important to you is, is for, for me, it's heartbreaking. Like I would love to do everything and I would love to be able to learn everything and try everything, but uh, there's only so many hours. Um, and, 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 you know, like burnout is real. Uh, and, and sometimes people, uh, like there's been maybe a couple of years ago, like I would have a hard time waking up in the morning and I never fully understood what it was. And, and then now that I moved back, I'm like, yeah, I might have burned out a little bit. So now I'm trying to be a little bit more mindful, anticipating the, uh, the signs and completely ignoring them. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so like, learn to make choices um and and don't like th there's not a whole lot of things in life that are completely permanent if if i wanted to go back and and become a credential actuary i could like there's nothing preventing me it's it, it's going to be harder but overall like i made the choice that i wanted to do some other stuff and um i wanted to uh, study computer science and i'm very happy in, in what I'm doing right now. So um, it's, uh, it, it was a, it was a tough choice, but like if I was able to go back, I would say like, I, I should have probably like studied computer science undergrad, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda. Sure. Yeah. No, that's actually, that's a uh, hindsight is what I'm asking for next, my friend. <laughs> What career advice would you give your teenage self? Um, you're not going to become a doctor. Stop wasting time with biology. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it, it was that joke. My, my mom wanted, uh, uh, really wanted a doctor in the okay. family. And uh, uh, basically, like, I'm a data scientist. My brother's a statistician. Uh, my sister is a social worker. She's going back to school. Um, like, I mean, we, we've, uh, we've done, we're very happy professionally, which was a, a key important thing for her. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, like I was geared, I really, really wanted like to be a doctor. And I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. I faint at the idea of getting a vaccine. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. Like this is I'm, I'm the same way, man. <laughs> um, and then also, um, yeah. Um, don't um, don't focus on uh, what a specific field of study is going to give you career-wise. So I, I I think I went in in actuarial science because it was a very well-defined career path, and I think. You know, it's it's probably the same for you as a like you know, patrol engineering is is uh, like you, you know you go to school 
you do your time, you get out of school, there's a job for you. Yep. And, and to me, that was the thing. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I mean, I, I started my career and it took me many, many years to find my niche that I was comfortable in. And it ended up having nothing to do with my undergrad. So I don't regret it. I'm, I'm happy, but mm-hmm. you know, if, if I knew I like, I wouldn't have spent so much time doing all those exams. Like, yeah. What, what do you chalk that up to? Like exploring more in your undergrad or like, is there any way you could have even, you know, like, you know, got a hold of yourself like at that age and said like, look, you know, you need to have it a little more open mind or something like that. What, what's the solution there? Or is there one? I don't know. Um, well, you know, it's, it's after the fact, it's easy to say like, Hey, guy, hey dude, like you, uh, you, uh, you should have done this, but yeah. you know, I think with the information that I had, I made the best decision. Also, yeah. I, I, you know, it was a big time for me. I, I was like, for the first time I was like, um, uh, like alone and I could do anything I wanted. Um, I moved from a small town in Eastern Quebec to Montreal, which, uh, you know, has, amazing school and better bars. Uh, so uh, I, I spent so much money during my first year undergrad, uh, which af- I, I think after the fact I was like, okay, now I need to get serious and I need to, uh, uh, to make sure that I get a job. And, and that might have, like if I was a little bit more conservative in my spending, I could have spent more time focusing on some other stuff. Yeah, man, you brought up a great point about the uh, making the best decision with the data that you have at the time. That's, I don't know if you've read uh, Ray Dalio's principles book, but that's one of the things that he hits on really hard is uh, that's just like a skill you have to acquire. And so I think that's amazing that that was the insight that you got out of that. Like you should find comfort in, in being able to make that choice. That's awesome. Uh, I haven't read the book, but Man, this is you should, next. <laughs> yeah, you should check. It's so he's got like a really brief one that's like a cartoony one. Mm-hmm. I wish I actually read that one before I went for like the seven hundred page thing. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like the the picture book is amazing. Uh, and then the audio book, he reads half of it to you. So I think you'll get. I think you'll really enjoy that book, Ray Dalio's Principles. This is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, so how are, or actually, let me ask you this with so many people experiencing layoffs right now, do you have any ideas for someone to drum up freelancing business? If kind of their back is against the wall and they just got laid off. Like, have you, have you thought about these things like backup plans? Um, Like, yeah, go ahead. uh, A lot of companies, um, are, are, I think a lot of the reason for the layoffs is, is also because uh, th- there's a skill in that equation. Um, you know, as a lot of uh, businesses need to close door, the retail staff becomes, uh, they think it becomes less useful. Um, so so I, one of the things that my, uh, my parent told me uh, when I was growing up and now that I think of it, it might just be a, a reason why they were so severe is uh, constraints breeds creativity. Um, so I, I think that right now, the ability to um, uh, 
come up with different ideas and and you know I'm like I, I, I get the chance to consult on multiple clients I I have some clients that their thought process is utterly uninspiring um, and I have some other clients um, as a matter of fact one today uh, they are uh, coming up with a plan to make the best of it and and how they can use the people that they have and what they're strong at to elevate their uh, their online presence and and I was like you know the plan is my first thought was wow this is like this is really interesting mm -hmm. and, and I would say as part of this the layoff and especially like looking at the skills that you have and, and how do they translate into an increasingly digital world? And it doesn't necessarily mean everybody needs to code, but how can we communicate better? Um, you, you know, a lot of people say like, oh yeah, social media manager is, is, is not a real job. It is very much a real job. How do you um, help businesses that are having a hard time uh, thriving or even surviving in the time of COVID. And if this is enough to keep you busy, to keep food on your plate, um, this is going to be a heck of an experience because you're, you're going to go out of your comfort zone um, and, and be able to, uh, uh, to do something that is going to matter. Like once this is all going to be over and people will forget uh, you're not going to remember how miserable it was to stay inside or how many pounds you've gained because, um, <laughs> you know, chocolate cake is pretty tempting. Um, yeah. But you're going to remember, like, w what you were able to do during that time and, um, and, and especially um, what, how you took advantage of this. Like, it, it is very much a crisis and, uh, you, you know, Make sure you're you have the energy, and then um, experiment. Try some stuff. Um, it's it's always better than not doing anything. Mm, that's awesome, man. How do you how do you ensure good sleep? Do you have some sort of routine? I know it's like a non-negotiable for you to get good sleep. Oh, um, well, I. Um, I sleep better in a cold room, so I abuse air conditioning. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, summer or winter. Like, I, I, I remember when I was younger, like, I was all the way up in uh, eastern Quebec, and I would open the window in the winter, and, and, you know, you could wake up in the morning, and, like, your bedroom, like, it's, it's, it's six, but you're so comfortable under your, like, 20 blankets. Uh, <laughs> um, I... I, I'm an early, like early sleeper. Like, you know, it's, it's nine 30 at the moment. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, usually to me, it's, it's when I start, like I close the computer and I tend to prepare for bed. Uh, having a routine is also important. I put my alarm clock at the same time every day, like even a weekend, mm -hmm. um, because, uh, it's, I find it to be too hard to break that habit. Uh, um, and then, yeah, it, it's make sure that you're investing in, into a good mattress, good bedding, because 
you know, if like a bed and good shoes, because if you're not in one, you're in the other. Amazing. That's awesome, man. That's some profound wisdom there. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Man. It's so simple and so tangible. Thank you. Um, let's see here. What is the most important? Oh, I'll warn you here. There's three questions left. So I know we're over our time, but uh, I was curious, what is the most important personal development book to read in 2020? Um, I, I love uh, uh, making it stick. I don't remember who's the author and I don't even remember if I still have the book. It's called but Making it's, It Stick? Yes, Making It Stick. Um, it's, um, it's Peter a book Brown. I think that's it. Uh, uh, see, the author didn't stick, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it's, a good, it's a book about how information stays into your brain. And I know we've talked about this for... Uh, a little earlier in the podcast, but yeah, I think that in, in order to make it learn, there's also uh, a mind for numbers, which is, it's the same kind of like area. Okay. Um, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a good one. And, and then like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still in this, the set where I haven't read a lot of the classic, you know, uh, I'm, I'm halfway into the mythical men month, which I found really uh, interesting um, I, over the, over the, um, the, uh, holidays I've read, uh, the healthy programmer, uh, from pragmatic, uh, programmers or pragmatic bookshelf. And, and, you know, it's, it's not really about development per se, but, um, you, you know, this is something, uh, where like, if you're spending a lot of time in front of the computer, it's important to keep in mind that, uh, your, your body is still, uh, front and center into your ability to type and um, even into your ability to think. So um, mm. that was uh, it was a pretty uh, good eye opener because um, it's it's very actionable, very pragmatic, um, and it's it's a fun read. Uh, it's it's uh, I would actually anybody who's sitting down all day every day at this workplace or standing up if you have a sending desk uh, should probably read this book man that's uh that hit that hits home i'm i'm genuinely intrigued uh thank you for sharing that uh what is the best advice you've ever received um uh, it's a uh, it's a french saying and it's it's kind of uh I, I like to repeat it again and again and again and again. Like in French, it says, uh, which, uh, you know, if you translate that in English, it's like, if you pee against the wind, you're going to rinse your teeth. <laughs> uh, uh, and and it, it's kind of a, like a fancy way or a very uh, crude way of saying like what goes around comes around. Mm. If, if you're positive around people and, and you're, uh, genuinely interested about what they're doing and you have their best interests in mind, uh, you're going to attract the same kind of people. Um, and e even though like, you know, even in the time of COVID, uh, social interaction are becoming more self-selective. Uh, so deciding who you're spending your time with and, and being kind to people is, 
is incredibly important. If, if people feel good when they're around you and you're, you're, you're going to be able to work harder with them, you're going to uh, have deeper relationship, which uh, at the end of the day has a lot to do about enjoying yourself day in, day out. Hmm. That's amazing, man. You are an amazing human. Just throwing that out there. Uh, this has been an incredible blast to do this podcast with you. It was um, pretty fun. Yeah, man, this is great. Um, so before, before we part ways, what are the final thoughts kind of based on everything that we talked about uh, that you, wanna, you want the audience to walk away with? Um, learning is fun. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, discovering new things shouldn't be scary. Um, uh, always strive to, uh, end the day with, uh, like something that you've learned and it doesn't have to be big. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's the most important. Uh, we're, we're like, you know, everybody we're sharing, um, a planet together and uh, there's so much stuff to discover um, so yeah learn as much as you can share as much as you can and and you know there's that XKCD uh, kind of comic where they say uh, you know they were saying that uh, you know ev every day somebody learns something that you know for the first time and you learn something for the first time that a lot of people know already so it, just enjoy discovering new things and remember that you're someone's beginner always. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Keep, keeps everything kind of like, going back to what you were saying about not being too hard on yourself. Like that fits perfectly. Okay. So I have one, well, I have a call to action that I want you to, mm -hmm. to share, but before we do that, I don't know if you can see this little sign in my back in, in my back there. It says the one action. action. Yes. So my question to you is who is somebody that's like a role model that you, that you can think of that's like the massive action taker? Cause that's, this right here is what I'm all about. And I, I want to know like, who do you look up to? That's like a massive action taker. Um, I, I don't know how much action he takes, but um, he's been a massive inspiration about the kind of person I am to be. Okay. Um, he, uh, his name is uh, Joel Gruss, G-R-U-S. You know, I might butcher his last name, but he has uh, some of the best talks on, like he, he speaks very fast, but the content is so good and amazingly well done. Uh, he is a data scientist that takes so much pride into testing his code and following best engineering practice. Um, and, and he has such a, uh, a good way of explaining stuff. Seeing him live code is, I, I think it's the video that I've watched. Like he implements a neural net from scratch in Python. And I think I've watched that video like, like almost a hundred times. Like it, it's, it's, it's a mm. thing of beauty. Um, and like as somebody who loves to learn, who loves to teach, I would, adore to be as clear as him. Hmm. That's amazing, man. I'm uh, so I was just looking that up while you were saying that he's the data science from scratch guy. Yes. yes. Okay. Cool, man. 
dude, I got to get him on the show next. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's awesome, man. Um, well, so thank you so much for doing this. I want, I want, the floor is yours. What is the call to action? Where do people go to connect with you? What must they do as soon as they finish listening to the show? Um, sure. Uh, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I, I need to get on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I was looking for you on there. Uh, Manning was promoting your book on there too. Yes, I know. I, I, you know, it's the kind of thing that like, oh, I need to be on Twitter. I need to be on Twitter. <laughs> I have a Twitter account, but it's yeah. empty. I don't even think I remember my handle. Uh, LinkedIn's probably the is, easiest way to, to reach me. Uh, okay. First name, last name. Um, I'm also um, email, uh, last name, dot first name at gmail.com. Um, I'm usually pretty uh, chatty. Um, also, I, I'm trying to get into more conferences. Uh, I've done PyCom Canada uh, last year. It was uh, really amazing. Uh, even if you're not in Canada, uh, come and see us. Like we're we're a very friendly bunch. It's usually like uh, last year it was Toronto. It, next year is probably going to be Montreal. I think uh, it's it's just really really fun. Um, and uh, if you're in the Toronto area, uh, I'm there. <laughs> awesome. Cool, man. Yeah, we'll make sure they got all the links and uh, we, got, we got some books to give away. So, man, this has been a blast. So thank you so much for coming on the show and we'll talk to you folks next time.